the last couple of weeks I've been doing some reading. Don't you love it when your electronic devices don't work right? Hold on a second. Okay, there we are. Um, and uh, I'd read this article, um, and somebody t- was talking about the hokey pokey, and I realized it was a really good title for our sermon today. So today you guys can scratch out the, the sermon title on your paper and write hokey pokey up there. And when you're done there, turn to Romans 12, one, scratch out the heading and write hokey pokey. And, and later on you'll understand why. How many people in here remember the hokey pokey? All right. So everybody who raised their hand, I'm going to call you later to stand up here and do a sermon illustration for me, all right? <laughs> Um, as you guys know, we've been going through the book of Romans for months now. I think we started in March. And um, like we said at the beginning when we started the book of Romans, it's, it's an amazing book. Um, no matter how long you've been a believer, um, there's always amazing truths that we can get out of the book of Romans. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Romans 12 and 13. And it's, uh, it's the kind of a final division in the book of Romans. Um, up to this point, everything's been very um, doctrinal, kind of theological. Paul's talked about who we are, right, as people, as humans. We're fallen, we're, we're hopeless, we're helpless. Um, but then God had a remedy for that sin problem, right? We understand a little more about who God is, um, who Christ is now that he's been um, taking care of that sin problem for us, right? The Holy Spirit um, and he's really uh, clarified the gospel and what salvation is. Um, and so, hopefully, over these last few months, you guys have really got a good grasp on that, and you have a deeper, richer understanding of, of all those doctrinal truths that we are to be grounded in as, as believers. Um, and so now, as we get into Romans 12.1, we're, we're going to see that um, things change a little bit here. Um, Paul's going to change what he's talking about and how he's addressing things, and um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into the text. So bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have your word. We have your word in our language, that we understand it clearly, and that uh, as we read it, you use your Holy Spirit to transform us, uh, to change uh, our worldview, the way we think, the way we look at things, and, uh, and it helps us to become more and more like your Son, which is ultimately your desire for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump in. We'll read Romans 12:1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, you know what, I'm going to read it in a different version because I like the NASB version better, um, only because I, I think the wording there is, is a little more richer. And um, So he says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Um, the NLT says, and so, instead of therefore, but they have the same meaning, right? Whenever you see the word therefore... Um, one of our Bible school teachers would, had, you know, a joke that whenever you see the word therefore, you have to find out what it is therefore. And it's always meaning he's pointing back to something he's previously said. And so that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, therefore, considering everything I've talked about, everything I've written in my letter, therefore, he's, he's introducing this new subject. And he says, um, by the mercies of God. And in some other translations, it says, because of all that he has done for you. And so now we need to look back at what Paul is talking about. What has God done for us? What are these mercies that Paul is talking about? And um, verses, or chapters 3 through 8, Paul really lays out um, just the amazing grace and mercy of God and the amazing things he's done for us. He's talked about God justifying us, right? Justified meaning we're, we're made right in God's eyes. Something we never deserved, but he did for us. He's removed everything that stood in the way of us being in oneness with him. 
He uh, has included us in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, which has a, uh, a million implications in that. <clears throat> he has given us the Holy Spirit, which allows us or gives us the ability to live lives that are now pleasing to God. <clears throat> he freed us from the authority and condemnation of the law. He adopted us as his children, but not just children, adult children, meaning we're heirs, we're joint heirs with Christ. He uses everything, everything in this world, everything that's happening in our lives, he's using for our good and for his glory. He's um, continually, daily, conforming us more and more into the image of Christ. And as we heard a couple weeks ago, he holds us securely in his love. That, uh, and it's that assurance that gives us true hope, true peace, true joy in the world today. So now, considering all of this, considering all these things that God has done for us, how should we respond? And that's what Paul's going to address. And that's why I believe the Hokey Pokey is the perfect title for this section of Scripture. You guys remember the Hokey Pokey, right? I'm not going to make you stand up so you guys don't have to get nervous. I see a bunch of sweat, sweaty people out here thinking they're going to have to stand up. <clears throat> remember, you put your right arm in, right? You put your right arm out. Put your right arm in, right? Shake it all about. You move through all these different body parts, right? Your arms, your legs. When we were kids, we were silly, and we did our butts and whatever else we could figure out to put in and shake about. But do you remember the very last command in the hokey pokey? The very last thing we're to do? Your whole self in. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about finishing the hokey pokey, finishing well. <clears throat> Paul is pleading with us, right? He's begging. That's the, the wording that's used here. It's not a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a begging. It's a pleading. And so we have to ask the question, why would he beg? Why would he plead with us to do this? <clears throat> and I believe it's because as humans, it's our choice daily to walk in the truths of who we are in Christ or to walk in the flesh and choose to, to fulfill those desires that um, are always there in us instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. We have this amazing position, and Paul has used the first section or the first part of Romans to remind us of this amazing position we, are, we have and to remind us that God's desire is that we give our whole selves. We put our whole selves in. That we become a living sacrifice for Him. <clears throat> when you think back about the, the word sacrifice and what it meant to, the, to those people in biblical times, you think of an animal, right? A live animal. The best animal they had, it was brought to the temple. And its life was taken from it. Its life was taken, and then every part of that animal was considered God's. Every single part of it. There was not one part of the animal that was not God's at that moment. It wasn't just the life, but it was the life in every single part of the animal. But then you throw in the word living, and how can you be a living sacrifice if a sacrifice is dead? It's, an, it's a, what we call an oxymoron, right? You can't be alive and dead at the same time. <clears throat> and I think he used the two words on purpose because he wanted us to understand that it's our entire selves, our entire lives, every part of us needs to be that, that given to God. But being a living sacrifice means it's not a one-time offering. It's a daily sacrifice. It's a continual act. It's a lifestyle of giving ourselves to God. God expects nothing less than unconditional surrender. And the amazing thing is once we do that, once we have surrendered our lives to Him, this metamorphosis begins to take place. <clears throat> God begins changing us into the people we ultimately desire to be even when we don't understand. And He begins changing us so that we can live the life that we've all desired to live. That's the metamorphosis that takes place as we surrender. And total surrender really is the only logical response to 
everything that God has done for us. All those things we just went through, all those lists of things that, that I said that, that Paul has been teaching us through the first part of Romans. The only logical response is unconditional surrender. Let's continue on to Romans 12, 2 and see what next Paul has to say. And Paul says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, do not be conformed. When I read this, I thought of going to the beach, right? We take our kids, we take these little buckets down to the beach, right? Get down close to the water and you take a little bucket. I remember as a kid, we had these round buckets that didn't look like anything, but, you know, with enough work, you could make it look like a castle. But they have these really cool buckets now that are already shaped like castles, right? So you take this wet sand and you pack it in there, right? And you work really hard to make sure it's all filled in. And you take a lump of sand that has no structure to it. And by pressing it and forming it into this uh, bucket and flipping it, the sand out while it's wet, it maintains the image of this bucket that it was pressed into. <clears throat> and I believe that's what he's talking about here. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not allow the pressures of the world to press in so hard around you that you begin to look like the world around you we tend to look more and more like those things that have the most influence on us. And Paul is saying that is not where we are supposed to be. So the question is, how are we not conformed? And that's the great thing about Paul is he doesn't just leave it as don't be conformed, but he gives us a but. The but is to be transformed, to be transformed from the inside out. <clears throat> he says that uh, our minds are to be renewed. And the first thing that needs to happen is that our minds need to be changed. They need to be renewed. <clears throat> And uh, in mission circles, in Christian circles too, sometimes we, we call that a worldview. I don't know if you guys have heard the term worldview before, but it's um, a simple explanation is it's kind of the lens or the filter through which we interpret the world around us. Whatever it is that's going on around us, we tend to filter through life experiences, um, how our mind thinks. Um, we were missionaries for many years in, in a tribe, and these people are animistic, and everything to them is spiritual. Um, whether it's spirits of ancestors, evil spirits, good spirits, whether it's a witch doctor. So just something as simple as getting sick, a common cold, um, they look at it as there's something spiritual that's happened. And that's their worldview. And so the idea is by changing the worldview, we, we begin to see things from a biblical perspective, right? That uh, as believers, that should be our worldview. Is everything should be filtered through the truth of God's Word. Our own thoughts, our own attitudes, our own desires... They're to be gradually replaced by the thoughts, the attitudes, and the desires of God. And that only happens as we carefully study God's Word, uh, a fervent prayer life, right? Consistent communication with God, not just talking to Him, not just requesting things from Him, but listening to Him and allowing Him to speak to you. And one of the most important and I think least used things we have to help us um, be transformed is discipleship. It's spending time together with other believers, like-minded individuals, you know, the idea of iron sharpening iron. We become more and more like Christ as we spend time with people that are like us and other people that are desiring to become like Christ. And the Holy Spirit uses these things. It uses your Bible. It uses your prayer life. It uses people around you to um, begin this transformation, this metamorphosis that we were talking about. And it begins from the inside. And the thing is, once the inside transformation begins to take place, the result is a changed life. We can't change our lives and expect that somehow inside we're going to change. God wants to change our insides the way we think, the way we feel. And from that, our lives are changed. 
as that happens, as our lives are changed, as our, our, our minds are changed, um, we begin to understand the will of God better, as he says here, so that you will know the will of God, that which is pleasing and perfect and good. <clears throat> the more we understand God's will, the, the, the better we understand who he is and his will for our lives, the easier it is to um, yield the areas of our lives to his complete control. Paul says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. The but in there um, means that the two are mutually exclusive, meaning they both can't exist at the same time. What that means is as believers, we are either being transformed or we're being conformed. The two can't happen at the same time, and it's your choice daily. Paul's reminding us here, it's your choice daily to be conformed or to be transformed. He's pleading daily with us to surrender our whole selves, to put our whole selves in and allow God through His Holy Spirit to bring about that transformation. The thing is, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, He begins this process of unmolding us, unmolding us from the pattern of this world and transforming us into the image of Himself, into the image of Christ. When that happens, we become people that are gifted, people of giftedness, people of goodness, people of graciousness. And that's ultimately God's desire for our lives. So, next question. How do we live in the truth of Romans 12, 1 and 2? How do we live in the truth that, based on everything God has done, that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice? How do we daily not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds? I believe Paul's going to use the rest of chapter 12 and 13 and possibly even 14 although we're not looking that far ahead today, to help us understand what it looks like practically. How do we walk daily in the truths of Romans 12, 1 and 2? <clears throat> so let's read on. We're going to read Romans 12, 3 through 8, and see what Paul has to say next. Beginning in verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of the one body, and we, are all, and we all belong to each other. Verse 6, in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So practically, what does it look like to walk in the truths of Romans 12, 1 and 2? Paul says the first thing is that we're to use our spiritual gifts. We're to use our spiritual gifts to serve in the church. But he reminds us that as a body, every one of us is equally important as the next. So we're not to consider our own gifting, our own abilities as any more important than the person next to us. Just like the human body, every part fits together and works well to accomplish something. When any part is missing, it makes something more difficult. Every part is just as important as every other part. And it's the same with God's church. Every gift is just as important as the next. He also reminds us that whatever your gifting is, whatever your ability is, however you are serving in church, in the body, amongst believers, that we are to do it to the best of our ability. We're to be all in. God desires that, like the hokey pokey, right? We put our whole selves in. The amazing thing is, 
when our abilities fall short, when we're unable to accomplish tasks, God can step in. God steps in, and through the Holy Spirit, He enables us to do things that we would never be able to do on our own. <clears throat> All right, let's continue on. We're Romans 12, chapters 9 through 21. This is a little longer reading, so bear with me. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So again, practically, what does it look like to live in the truths of Romans 12, 1 and 2? The next thing Paul says is that we are to genuinely love others. Genuinely loving others. And he begins talking about within the body, right? Genuinely loving those in the body. And that's usually the easy part for us, right? It's easy to love people that are like us. It's easy to love people that understand where we're at in life and, and what's going on in our lives and the struggles that we have daily to walk with Christ, right? It's very easy to do that. But then he goes on to really step on some toes and say, what about those outside the family of God? What about those who are persecuting you? In America, we, we have a hard time understanding hard persecution like they, they have in many other parts of the world. But there is persecution here, and it's getting worse every day, right? If we take a stand for the things God believes in, we're considered bigots, we're considered... Um, sorry, I just drew a blank. <laughs> but, but the world hates us for not being tolerant of the things that the world wants to do, right? And so there is a form of persecution that we, we have here, and, and Paul says we're to bless those who are persecuting us. We're to continue to do good even when they're doing bad. And then on top of that, he, he makes it even worse. He says, your enemies, people who are your enemies, people who hate you, people that are doing everything they can to make life miserable, that we're to meet the needs of those people. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. And Proverbs, he, he quotes Proverbs here, and it says that by doing that, we're, we're heaping coals on their head, Right? that somehow they are shamed because the evil that they are doing is, is reciprocated with good. And Paul says it. When we do that, we are overcoming evil with our good. And when we're not doing that, evil's winning. Evil's winning. It's got a foothold, and it is winning in your life. And it's one of the hardest things. I've talked to lots of people, myself included, that, that how do you bless? How do you help somebody that's your enemy? Somebody that no matter what you do, they're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. And yet God says... That's what we are to do. We are to love them right where they are. All right, let's jump into chapter 13. We're going to do verses 1 through 7. Everyone must submit to governing, governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. 
So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Then do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. The political situation in our country today is, is very volatile. <clears throat> People are strongly divided, especially over the president, over political parties, over a lot of the laws that they're trying to pass that, that as conservatives, um, we don't agree with. And yet, in that, we're still to submit to the authorities, right? No matter which side you're on. God says we are to submit to them. Why? Because ultimately God is in control. God has placed every single authority or allowed them to be in the position of authority they're in. And as long as they're not telling us to do something that contradicts the Bible or contradicts God, we are to submit to them willingly. How many times have you thought, I don't like what they're doing, it doesn't line up with my own beliefs, but yet thought, well, I can honor God by submitting to that authority, by obeying the rules and the laws that they've put in place because that brings honor and glory to God, recognizing that ultimately He is the authority figure. Let me continue on with verse 6. Pay your taxes. For these same reasons, government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. This one's a little tougher. You know, every Sunday, we stand up here and say it's, it's time for our offering, right? And what do we do? Yeah. We, we cheer. Why? Because God wants us to be cheerful givers, right? How many of you have been at the tax collector or tax preparer's office and walked in cheering? How many of you cheer and high-five Gretchen when you go into her office knowing you have to pay taxes? Or how about when you look at your paycheck every week? And there's hundreds of dollars missing out of your paycheck that has to go to the government. How many of you cheer, recognizing that you've now honored God with those few hundred dollars that have been given to Him? I know I don't. I grumble and complain every time it happens. The only time I'm happy is when I get taxes back and I get the money back, right? And yet, Paul says that we're to pay our taxes. We're to pay our taxes. We're to pay government fees. Why? Because ultimately, God's allowed them to be in control, and that's what God's asked us to do to honor Him. So I'm going to check with that Gretchen next year and see how many of you came in and high-fived her when she prepared your taxes and told you you owed the government more money. All right, let's continue on. We're in Romans 13, chapter 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commands are summed up in one commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of the law. Love is a, a pretty common theme throughout the Bible, right? It says that God is love, right? That He first loved us. That's how we're able to love. And Paul's reminding us again here that love is one of the most important qualities we can have as believers. It represents one of the greatest qualities of God, 
It means that God is present in our lives and it's His fruit flowing through us. Love. Love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And we know that because Christ came. And because of His great love for us, He came and He fulfilled the law for us, right? Love fulfills the law. One of the most important qualities we can have as believers. And remember, just a few verses ago, we're to love our enemies. We're to love those who persecute us. The church today is... uh, Uh, Many churches today, I should say, have taken a stand against um, the LGBT community, abortion, many of these things that we we hold very strongly, right? We have convictions, very strong convictions about these things, and yet we haven't loved those people who are still struggling with those things. I see all over the place churches that are bashing people, holding up horrible signs, calling people horrible names because they're doing something that we don't believe in, but yet how are we loving our neighbors, our enemies? How are we blessing those that have differing views than we do. <clears throat> I don't know if, I, if we have the answers, but I know that what's going on a lot in, in many churches in our country is not the answer, and I don't believe it's honoring to God. I don't believe that that's love, the kind of love that God expects from us, unconditional love. All right, let's move on. Verses 11 to the end of chapter 13. This is all the more urgent. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, Clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Paul's wrapping up this section with a a reminder again, a pleading, a begging again. If you notice there, he doesn't say, he uses wording that says, "You're, you're doing these things and you need to stop, right? Take off these dirty, filthy deeds that you're doing and put on Christ. He's pleading his case for how we should be responding to all that God has done for us, right? He's reminding us of how we are to live and walk by faith. How are we to live according to who we are in Christ now? He says, put on the armor. And then at the end, he says, put on Christ. And through the book of Romans, we've been able to see, displayed for us, the armor of God, I believe, right? We've seen the the, uh, belt of truth, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. And now, I believe in this section of Scripture, what we're seeing is the feet. Feet that are shod, the old wording was shod, right? And it's kind of like horseshoeing. It's, it's not just putting a metal shoe on the bottom of a horse's foot, but it's forming it and shaping it um, so that the foot is prepared. It's ready. And that's what Paul's saying here, that uh, he, he wants our feet to be prepared, equipped. Why? So that we can stand in battle. So that we can walk in newness of life. So that we can run the race with endurance. So my challenge for you guys today is is to take this week and evaluate where you're at. Where are you at in your lives? Where are you at when you walk with God? And be totally honest with yourself. This is between you and God. Ask yourself, am I completely surrendered to God? Is every area of my life surrendered to God? And I know the answer is going to be no. 
the answer is no for me. I, I know there's many areas of my life that aren't, but I want you to be honest. I want you to look at those areas of your lives that you struggle most with to surrender to God and decide why. Why are those areas strongholds? Why are you not able to surrender those areas of your lives? But then, I want you to go back and reread Romans, Romans 3 through 8. Make a list of all those things that Paul tells us God did for us. Write them down and read through them and realize how amazing our God is, how amazing He is for doing something for us that we never deserved. We never, ever deserved it while we were sinners. While we were in the midst of doing those things that God hated most, He chose to rescue us and save us and bring us back into a right relationship with Himself. Make a list of those things God has done for us. Study them and begin thanking God for all that He has done for you. And I'll be willing to bet that it's going to change your perspective about those areas of your lives that you're unwilling to give up. It's tough surrendering, especially for men. We don't want to be surrenderers, right? We want to be in control. We want to hold on to those things. And as people, that's what we want more than anything, and God just wants us to surrender, to turn our lives over to Him, right? To do the hokey pokey and to put our whole selves in. And I believe it's the only logical response to have when we truly understand all that He has done for us. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are so grateful. We're so amazed that you could love us that much, even in the midst of us being so unlovable. And we pray that uh, as we better understand that, as as you work to transform us from the inside out, that our lives uh, become holy, that uh, those around us see something so different in us that they're attracted to you because of us. Help us to daily spend time with you, allowing you to speak to those areas of our lives that we struggle to let go of. Help us to be more like Christ each and every day so that we can get out into our community and reach those who have no hope. In Jesus' name, amen.